This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. And I am delighted to be joined today by my great friend, Tiki Barber. Tiki, welcome to The Rabbi's Husband. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate you having me. This is going to be fun and informative, as it always is when I'm with you around religious gatherings. I missed Passover this year because of, obviously, the coronavirus, but I'm excited that we get to do this instead. Absolutely. So we'll get to Passover in a moment, but first I'm just going to introduce you. Not that anyone listening or, or anyone needs an introduction, but Tiki graduated from uh, University of Virginia in 1997 and went straight to the New York Giants. He was a three times all pro. He twice led the league in yards from scrimmage and was is one of only three players in NFL history to have 10,000 career yards and 5,000 rushing. He is one of three players with more than 4.7 yards per carry. The others are Jim Brown and Barry Sanders. He's the only NFL player ever to rush for more than 1,600 yards twice after age 30. Tiki's had four seasons with 1,900 yards from scrimmage. Only Walter Payton had five. He has dozens of Giants franchise records, including most rushing yards, most yards in a game, most yards in a season, career, and playoff career, most 100-plus yard games in a season and in a career, most yards per carry, most yards from scrimmage. And Tiki, I read this, but I don't know what it means, most eggs eaten in eight minutes. <laughs> I don't you know, know what that a, means. I have no idea what that means either. But I'm sure that back in the day when I was 215 pounds, I, I ate a lot of eggs for sure. Okay, so we'll have, yeah, so we do not know what that part of the introduction means. But uh, after retiring from uh, from the Giants, uh, Tiki began a career in broadcasting and has now been with NBC, BBC, and is currently with CBS. He's a great entrepreneur, having found Thuzio and several other companies and is involved uh, in a lot of nonprofit ventures, um, as well as his business and broadcasting. And uh, Tiki is the uh, proud father of six children. Mm -hmm. So Tiki, welcome welcome again to The Rabbi's Husband. And as you said, I'm so excited to have you on because um, you've brought all of your children to our Passover Seders for uh, many years in order so that uh, they can learn the same love of Judaism and the Jewish people and Jewish texts that you and Tracy have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've been to Israel twice now, and every time I've, I go with uh, with Tracy, she marvels at the the level of acceptance that that country and culture has. And there's something about Judaism that's always struck a chord with me. You remember my first time going, it was with Shimon Perez. I met him at a dinner that you happened to be at with Shimon Perez. We didn't even know each other at that time. We did not. I knew your brother, obviously, because we graduated from UVA together, but I didn't know you. And it started this love and interest in Israeli culture and, and the religion, which is has lasted to this day. Yes, yeah, so I remember that night. It was probably 2005 and I was at Tau and you, I didn't know who you were. Of course, everyone in the restaurant knew who knew of you, but uh, Alone Pankas, who was then the Consul General of Israel, uh, I think he sent somebody over to bring you to come meet President Shimon Peres. And what did uh, Shimon Peres say to you? He said, I heard you're the best at what you do. Yeah, he said to me, I hear that my people know. He said, my people tell me you're the best. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and then we just had, <laughs> we had this long conversation. And then he invited me over to see his twin sports schools, which is Israeli and Palestinian kids playing sports together. 
And we went and spent about 10 weeks or uh, 10 days over there. I stayed at the Dan Hotel uh, right on the Mediterranean. It was gorgeous. And we did so many amazing things. We went to the Knesset and we're sitting in this this room, his private room. And it's like a, a state visit. Like they have cameras and there's two chairs. I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? But it was it was a lot of fun. And then your 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 love of Judaism and the Jewish people continued. I remember you saying that after you came to one of my seders a few years ago, you were just studying the book of Exodus for months subsequently. Yeah, absolutely. Because like I, I grew up religious, a Baptist down in Southwest Virginia, and and we followed the stories of the Bible, but not in the same way that that Judaism does. You don't you don't follow the story. You more pick passages as a Baptist and and hammer home that passage with a message relating to what's going on in the world right now. But, you know, it's. It, I think my love of Judaism came from one of my owners of the New York Giants, Bob Tisch, became a great friend when I was playing and he took uh, he took me under his wing. We both. I was one of the only players that lived in the city. And so he would always bring me to events and whether it was going to a jazz club or meeting Governor Pataki or whatever, whatever the circumstance was, he would call me. And when he passed away, his family asked me to give a speech or eulogy at his memorial service. And I had no idea what to say. And so I just talked about my experiences with him. And at the end, I said, you know, I think one of the greatest things that Bob did was making a young black kid from Southwest Virginia feel like he was Jewish. And everybody, everybody cracked up. And it was, it was a perfect moment of levity to honor his life. He was, he was an amazing man. Yes, he was. And I, and, I, and then I believe a, a year before coronavirus or something like that, you went to Jerusalem again to run the Jerusalem Marathon. Yeah. And it was it was punitive. It was so hard. Uh, the Jerusalem Hills. The, the Jerusalem Hills were, were death of my legs and my quads. But I got to tell you, there was a there was a, a moment. I think it was about mile 10 where you're, you're heading up into the into the mountains and, and, and you can look down onto the holy site for obviously of all religions. And it was just gorgeous. I, I, I stopped and took a picture because wow. it, made, it made you feel like you were walking in the footsteps of history. And you obviously, I was, I was running in the footsteps of history and I loved it. So let's get right into your chosen passage, which, which is just such a magnificent passage. One of the great passages from the Bible, which is Deuteronomy eleven twelve, And uh, here Moses is basically giving the Jews our charge as we're about to become a free people in the promised land. He's not going to make it, but this is his summation speech, his interpretive speech. And he says, now, O Israel, what does Hashem, your God, ask of you? Only to fear Hashem, your God, to walk in all of his ways and to love him, to serve Hashem, your God, with all of your heart and with all of your soul, to observe the commandments of Hashem and his decrees, which I command you today for your benefit. One of the great lines of the Torah, Tiki, um, why did you pick this passage of all passages to discuss. Well, when you asked me to to pick a passage and 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 study it with you, I I looked through all of the the five bu- books of Moses, obviously the first five of of the Bible. And having grown up non-Jewish, we had many more books because we had the New Testament as well. But these are the ones that were they were most profound for me. And it, and this one stuck out. This passage stuck out. Because it referenced the tablets, uh, Deuteronomy 10, the tablets, which were just like the first ones. And it, it just reminded me of when I had seen this before. And, and it goes back to your Passovers, Mark, when you talk about the story of the Exodus and, you, and we ultimately don't all get there. But as I would read after your Passovers, you get to Exodus 31 and he's, he's talking. 
been given the tablets and uh, these are the 10 commandments that are placed on tablets and obviously they're broken. And when you come back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, tablets are being remade and placed in the ark. And so this story grabbed my attention because it was bringing the past forward to later in his, in his, in his writings. And, and obviously this is the greatest commandment I think of, of, of all in the Bible, which is honor God and obey him and fear him above anyone else. Absolutely. And, and the beginning of Deuteronomy 10, uh, which you just referenced is the tablets and the tablets will come back again and again, even as Deuteronomy is concluding, because the last words in the Bible, according to Rashi is God telling Moses, thank you for breaking the tablets because we take the broken tablets, the first step that Moses broke, and they go into the Holy Ark along with the, the whole set showing that God loves our brokenness and we're supposed to bring our broken selves to God. Yeah, which is profound because we're all unperfect and we all sin and we all, it's, 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 it's representative of humanity. We're going to make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that you can't be whole again. Exactly. You can't be whole and that, and that, and that God loves us in, in, in our brokenness and, and not just in our wholeness, but in our brokenness. And that's why we, we, break, we, put the, we put the broken tablets in the, in the ark and that, that's kind of the parting thought of the Torah. Now, getting back to 10, 12, it's so interesting. It says only, the word only, so only the fear of Hashem. Now, all these other things that we discussed, your God to, go, to walk in all these ways and to love him. But he says, only do all of these things, which without the word only, one would read that and say, that's quite a lot. Maybe it's even impossible. Tiki, why do you why do you think it has only only do all of these things? You know, I, I think because so so many times we get confused on how to serve our God, and we we try to do too much. Whether it's build magnificent structures, or currently you you're on TV and and talking loudly about how much you love God or whatever it may be, but you're doing so much to emphasize what you already are doing. And what he's saying is that you don't need to do all of that, that all you need to do is, is love me in your heart and, and, and pass it to those that are around you, not shout it from the mountaintop, not to be metaphorical uh, because he just came off of the mountain, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, I think it's a, different, it's a different way of interpreting what we're supposed to do because we think we need to build these magnificent temples. That, that's my interpretation. But yeah, that's very interesting. And, and, and you, that's why you see in the book of Micah, where God says, I don't want your 10,000 rivers of olive oil. <laughs> interesting. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly in his ways. So you're absolutely right. Like, it's very interesting. Like, like n- none of the things that he says you only do involve building huge structures or doing anything elaborate. It's loving God and walking in his ways. Now, the, the walking to me seems what you were saying about brokenness, which is, why walk in his ways? One, would, one, one might think that God would want us to stand before him or perhaps to kneel before him, but that's not what God wants. God wants us to walk in his ways because the act of, when, when we walk, what happens? We may fall and get hurt. Yeah. You may get lost. In fact, you probably will if you're walking a lot, which God wants us to do. So this is walking. I want you to walk. I want you to fall. I want you to get hurt. I want you to get lost. And don't worry, I'm with you. Like, th- th- this is life I want. Is he also saying that as you walk, you're going to encounter people and, and bring them with you on the, on, on the walk? You know, Great that, point. Because that's what, that's what happens when you walk. You meet people. Now, New York City is different because, you know, people don't want to meet you. But if you're walking somewhere, just in saying I'm in New Jersey, if you're walking sure. in New Jersey and someone happens to be walking next to you, you're going to strike up a conversation, not in the world of COVID, but, you know, 
outside of the world of COVID, you have a conversation with someone and you never know if that person becomes, you know, more involved in in your life or what your interests are and you get involved in their life and what their interests are. And it's a way to pass the gospel in a sense. Well, because the experience of walking is what you're saying is the experience of relating to people. Because when you walk, you're not just going to take a solitary walk into nature. You're going to see lots of people along the way and you're going to you're going to show people your love of God. You're going to learn how they love God. And through that kind of relationship, everyone's love of God will be enhanced. And also when you when you walk, you may get lost. Like so many people think that they don't have a relationship with God because they're lost in the world. They don't have the relationship they want because they're lost. But everyone who goes on a long walk will get lost unless you go the same route over and over again. But that's not walking in God's ways. What's the advice? I mean, I'm seeing your, your, your wife is the rabbi. You are the, the husband of the rabbi, but what's, you're the rabbi's husband. The advice that you give to people who might be lost, and I, and I assume that Erica gets this often, and you as well, because you're, you're so knowledgeable in this. People get lost, and people who have deep faith, they get lost. How do That's you right. bring them back? Just because you're lost doesn't mean you're not back, because you're walking in God's ways, and what God wants you to do is to walk and the nature of walking. And by the way, this, this is not the only time that it mentions walking. Walking is a constant motif throughout the Torah. And in fact, halakha, we, we, we talk of it, we translate it as Jewish law. The actual translation is walking. So to follow Jewish law is walking. We know God loves the broken. God loves those who walk. And uh, God is with us wherever we let him in. So God is always willing and able to have a relationship. We, it says in the Shema, these words shall be on your heart. So the question is, why not in your heart? You should want words in your heart. It's because you have to open it up. So as soon as we open it up, God's there. And therefore, there's no notion really of ever being lost from God. Yeah, and I think that one of the interesting things about Judaism is if you do find yourself getting lost, because what we're doing right now is something that that Judaism does often, which is have conversation. And there, there are constant opportunities to come together and fellowship over food and wine and 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 talk and if you're if you talk it consistently it's harder to get lost if you if you if you preach it consistently it's it's easier to get found if you are lost whereas some other religions it's oh, let's 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 meet on holidays let's you know meet on you know one or two special occasions a year but that's it it's it's always this way in Judaism, which is something that, that Tracy and I have always found special, is that there's a structure to it that not forces you, because that's too strong of a word, but it, it, it keeps you engaged uh, in the conversation, in the text, uh, and in what you're supposed to be doing to honor God. You know, that's such a beautiful, you know, you, you kind of just explained to me, really for the first time now, what is one of the, I think, the great moments in Jewish teaching, which is in the Talmud, there's a competition among some of the great rabbis, and the competition is what's the most important verse in the Torah. And Rabbi Akiva says, it's love your neighbor as yourself, and then three other rabbis give what we would consider the greatest hits. And then Ben Pazi says, you're all wrong. The most important verse in the Torah is from Leviticus, which is, you shall offer a sacrifice in the morning and a sacrifice in the afternoon. And he wins. He wins. And everyone in the Talmud says, we stand down, he wins. It's because it's the constancy that matters. Interesting. You know, ex- explain to me the difference, Mark, between the Torah and the Talmud. I was, and I only do this because of something I was watching on television, streaming. It was a show called Unorthodox. It was about a, a woman in an Orthodox Jewish community who left 
And she went to Germany and she was finding herself in music and things of that nature. But her husband comes to find her and she references something in the Talmud. And he immediately, it was only a short scene. It was less than 10 seconds. But he immediately says, you're not supposed to read the Talmud. What's the difference? Well, that, that, that sounds like that's that's ridiculous. I mean, that's ridiculous that she should not read the Talmud because um, because she's a woman. The guy was saying. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 just absurd script writing that has no basis in Jewish teaching or text. So so the, the, the Torah is the five books of Moses, Genesis, Deuteronomy. Some people, when they say Torah, will include prophets and scriptures. Other people will say it's the Bible outside. doesn't really matter. The Talmud is commentary on the Torah where there are rabbis trying to understand the Torah almost always through argumentation, like that competition we just discussed. But the idea that, I mean, uh, we know from historical records that the education of girls was required by the first century, and that if there wasn't universal education of both boys and girls, uh, the Jewish community was considered excommunicated. So, so they 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 did educate, and uh, no, and, and it says throughout the Torah, um, this is to be understood by all the children of Israel, to be read to all the children of Israel. It's men, women, it's it's children, it's adults, all together. Maybe that was intentional, though. You know, if, if you understand as it, as you just explained it, maybe it was intentional that it was presented that way because it showed that the husband was mis- mistreating his wife, you know what I mean? Like keeping her su- suppressed and not letting her grow that's right. uh, in, in a way justifying her decision to leave. Yeah, that, 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 that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. He, he may have just been a bad guy who was distorting the tradition for his own benefit. But the, the tradition is definitely men and women studying, studying together and, and really trying to re- uh, wrestle with these texts to get to what I think is I think the passage you chose also has the whole point of the Torah, which is in 1013, it says to observe the commandments of Hashem and his decrees, which I command you today for your benefit. So some people say, what's the purpose of religion? What's the purpose of Judaism? What's the purpose of studying Torah? It says it right here. The purpose of studying Torah is for your benefit. In other words, the Torah is a self-help book. It's a guidebook. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it, it, when you when you when you have questions or you have you need answers about something that's going on in your life, you can find it in this in these writings and exactly and and it gives you confidence to keep going forward as opposed to feeling like you're lost. Oh, exactly, exactly. You know, any question, no matter how contemporary that we face, from the most uh, personal to the most existential, every question I, it seems to me is asked with at least very intelligently suggested answers provided in the Torah, which makes sense if the Torah is provided for your benefit. Because, you know, the most important question to ask about a book is, or any kind of uh, media, is what's the genre? So the Torah, so if we know that it's a self-help book or perhaps a moral guidebook, then we know what it's not. It's not a law book or a cookbook, certainly not a history book. It's a guidebook, (laughs) and it's supposed to help us live better, more fulfilling, happier lives in the world today. And I emphasize today because it also says in the same passage, uh, which I command you today for your benefit. Yeah. So, so I have the, I have the, the English translation of this, the, well, at least the, the non Jewish translation, because I'm reading from my Bible, obviously it's the same words, but it's differently. And to mine, it says, and to observe the Lord's commandments and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. So it's exactly the same, even though the the interpretation is different 
I, I, I like yours better even, you know, for your own good is even more direct than for your benefit. Although, of course, it's the same thing. That's right. It's for your own good. It's a yeah. self-help book. And the word today is interesting because like you would never say to your kid, I command you today. You'd be like, well, when else would you be commanding me? Right. Yeah, that's, right. that's a good point. So it's, it's almost intentional. It's, it's like intentional that they're saying, I'm commanding you today. And if you had this conversation tomorrow or overmorrow, new word I learned, by the way, overmorrow. What is overmorrow? The day, after, the day after tomorrow. Interesting. So, so, so whether it's today, tomorrow, or overmorrow, you could say the same verse. And so you're still giving guidance on that specific day, no matter when you say it. Exactly. And I think that was, that was the author of the Torah, God or in partnership with man. Uh, that was the whole point. It's when's today? Today's August 3rd, 2020. So that I command you on August 3rd, 2020. And this was read literally 4,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, God willing, and another 5,000 years. But he's commanding today for our benefit uh, or for our own good whenever we read it, whenever we open it up. It's there to help us today for our own good. Yeah, you know, I, I always wonder, you know, as these books were being written and as these 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 actual historical moments were happening, if there was a concept that in 2000 plus years, this is going to be read. I, I always wonder that. That's and a great it, question. I, I don't I, I can't ever figure it because I, I think life was heading towards where, you know, the stableness of it um, for a long time. But I just I can't imagine that someone could think whatever I'm doing right now is going to be highly relevant and influential 2000 years from now think of and that that it just it blows my mind in a sense that's exactly the right way to look at it. It, it it must blow our mind which i think is proof that god was either the author of the torah or deeply involved in his writing because what person could ever make the claim and be right that what i'm going to say now will be the most important thing in the world in 3000 years <laughs> that's right you'd be locked <laughs> yeah, you're up right. You would be. You'd be crazy. So that's 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 what a lot of people will often say is either God or Jesus was crazy or he's right. And you choose the whichever one you believe is is, is fact. And for most people, it's right. Well, and, and the question you asked, I think it's exactly the question. I, I just learned this. So I haven't verified, but I just learned that um, Albert Einstein was asked if you could have dinner with anyone in history, who would you choose? And he said, Moses. I said, Moses, uh, what would you say to Moses? He would say, would you believe that the words you spoke are being studied and lived thousands of years later? It's exactly what you said. That's interesting. That's interesting. I didn't. I didn't know that. But that's that's I didn't really know cool. Until this week, but uh, but it, it it is the great question of, of of the Bible, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, I look at these words, and the Bible is is it's it's full of so much knowledge. And even if you're you're just talking about the Torah, or you're talking about the Old and New Testaments. If you're if you're Christian or, or or other other religions, it's a lot of words that mean a lot still, and it's it, they've been on paper forever, and it's 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 mind boggling because I, I don't think that you know a book that was written two hundred years ago is relevant today, but the Bible is very relevant still. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there's just so much like every word. I mean, even in this passage here, to. You, we are commanded to love, which arouses the question, could you be commanded to love? Well, apparently in this case, we are. It says you should love God. You know, so how can, and, but I think that that really teaches us how to think about God, because if we actually thought about God as to who he is, as, as the one who created the heavens, the earth, who enabled us to have our wives and our children and our occupations and the food on our table and our health, if we actually believed that God provided all of those things 
and so many more enabled us to get up in the morning, to walk to the shower, they'd be running, enabled everything in our world. We'd have to love that person. Yeah, how could you not? Because that's your existence. It's, 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 it's what makes your purpose meaningful in, in, in life. Yeah, I, I, I love that thought. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's, thank you so much for, for recommending this passage, because th- this may be the seminal passage of the Torah. I mean, it says, for your own good, to love God. It's just uh, such a, a great passage in, in Devarim, which is such a great book of the Bible. Well, I'm glad I did. It's interesting, because when I was looking through, because there's a lot of them that I could have chosen, obviously, and this one just popped out. You know, I was, most, I, I, I Googled, actually, most important passages. Oh, this one came uh, out. And, and, in the Torah, and this was this was like eight down the down the list. It was oh, wow. way way down the list of, of it was, I think it was ten, but it was like eight down the list. But when I saw Deuteronomy ten, and it was talking about you know writing the tablets like the first ones and sticking them in a wooden ark made of acacia wood, it just it, it reminded me of what we would we, we were talking about at Passover, at least what I learned downstream from going to your Passovers, and it popped up in my mind and said, well, this is the last book of, of Moses. So it's gotta be the most one of the most important ones. And I and I found this passage and it made it made sense. So I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed my choosing of this one. Absolutely. Um so so let's move from um from this text to a a, a different text, which is Andre Malroux's nineteen sixty eight book Anti Memoir. And he wrote in the book, he said that really the first page, he said, uh, I, I just ran into this man um, with whom I had served in the war. He said, this man had uh, saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. And he said, and I, and I said to this man, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, I've learned two things. He said, one, everyone is much less happy than he seems. And two, there is no such thing as a grown up person. <laughs> So Toys R Us was right. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's, that's right. That's Yeah, he should have founded it. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting statement. Yeah, very interesting on, on a number of levels. Let's just uh, think about your NFL career for a moment. What are two things that you learned about mankind playing football at the highest level? Well, one, and this is only because of the very intense rivalry that existed between the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. In my time, it, it was either the Giants or the Eagles were winning the, the the division. But those fans were vicious. The Eagles fans. The Eagles fans were vicious. And so what I learned in retrospect was that man can be evil in a moment. But if I fast, if I fast forward, you know, six or seven years later, I'm now retired. It's it's almost like that evil was was a facade it's, it's, it's they put it on for presentation because when i met maybe the same exact philadelphia eagle fan five years after i'm retired they had nothing but respect for me and so because of how i played and so so it's it's the interpretation of how you view someone on a field as an adversary as an individual you have to have respect if they if they did their job well but, 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 but that's very interesting. We'll drill down that. So now, I know you're not kidding when, when you said evil, because I mean, you've told me before the that was the one team that you couldn't take your family to. You couldn't take your family, yes. even though it was the easiest. It's 90 minutes on the train. You, you, your family couldn't go because the players would be too worried about how they'd be treated in the stands. That's exactly right. It, it was vicious in the words that came out of their mouths, especially with, with um, young kids at the time. It just it wasn't worth it emotionally 
for someone who didn't have to deal with it, who, who wasn't paid to deal with it. You know what I mean? So what's the psychology of a sports fan? Like, why would so, why, why would someone get in the stands and be that mean? Yeah, well, I think because... So when your team is not having success, so let's back up. So when you go watch a sports team, you're looking for an escape. You're looking for joy. You're looking for that team to win or do something spectacular that makes you feel elated. There's a sense of ownership that comes with being a fan of a team. And so when you watch them and they do great things, there's this, there's this dopamine spike and there's just like you feel fantastic inside. But then when it doesn't go that way, so it, so let's, t- let's take the antithesis of that where it goes poorly or your team goes bad or the guy on the other, other side, like me, breaks off a 60-yard touchdown run. It, it's, it's the exact opposite emotion because your joy has been robbed from you by the opponent. And so the worst parts of you come out because you're expecting excitement when you get you know, this, this morose feeling you need, you, you just have this, this need to yell and scream and, and boo and cuss and everything else. So I think it's because of the expectation that fans have when they watch their team play. And when it doesn't go their way, they, they get really angry. And it must tr- tap into a tribal instinct on people because of course the question is why would a fan care that much? Yeah, that's right. Because they're not they're not playing. <laughs> they're not on the field. It's they're not, not going to affect not... their material lives or their spiritual lives or any other aspect of their lives. I don't think at all the next day, that day, whether the team wins or loses, it's certainly why be mean. I mean, it's like and, le- and le- unless they're betting on it. <laughs> I mean, and they're yes. losing something financially. You're absolutely right. It, I think your I think your your instinct is is dead on, Mark. It's it's a tribal instinct. They feel like they're it's they're part of this this tribe. And that's, that's the economic engine behind professional sports is that you, you, you draw in all hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to be a part of your tribe because they're a fan and, and they follow you no matter what's happening, the good times and the bad times, just ask the Mets fan, the good times and the bad times they are still there or the Knicks fans. They're still there despite the fact that the success hasn't followed because they, they bought into the tribe and no matter, you know, success or failure, they're going to ride with the tribe. So speaking about success or failure, what did you learn about success and failure playing at the highest level? What makes for success and what makes for failure? I imagine, of course, being as far on the outside as can be that at a certain level, at the highest level, there are more people with extraordinary physical gifts than there are places on the team. Yeah, no, there definitely is. And so what are the differentiating factors? It's not what you see on the surface. It's not the fastest, strongest guy. It's not the, you know, the, the, the guy who just naturally has the talent. It's, I think it's, it's perseverance. It's, it's a, it's a mental toughness. There's a physical toughness, obviously that's necessary, but there's a mental toughness that, that, that forces you through failure, but also lets you have a short memory. Because failure is going to happen. And if you dwell on it, you're, you're, you're just going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. Um, so you have to stay confident and positive at all times. And I was able to do that because my career wasn't from the very beginning. You're headed towards the Hall of Fame. It was, it was fits and starts no, and I mean, ups and you downs. Were drafted and, what? You weren't drafted in the top round. Where were you, where were you? I was drafted in the second round, the 36th pick overall. So that was As a third down pick. back. I don't even know what that is, but you were drafted as a third down back, right? Yeah, third down back. So I was playing, you know, maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 plays a game um, as opposed to playing like 40 or 50 plays a game. And so my role was marginal until it wasn't. And I was fortunate because I was ready for my opportunity when it came. 
and and I and I took advantage of it. So I th- I think honestly it's 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 a little bit of luck, but it's preparedness. Like I was prepared for 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 the luck part to happen. Yeah, you know, interesting. Now in in the Bible, the the most frequently said thing in the Torah, I believe eighty times, is "Do not fear." <laughs> How did you escape the fear of Ray Lewis coming at you, or somebody <laughs> or somebody like that? I mean. I can't even imagine. How did you escape it and keep going? Preparation. It's the same way, Mark, when I have to go, um, I don't know, do an interview on radio or television or, um, you know, sit in a meeting in a pitch meeting for a company or whatever it may be. There's a, there's a confidence that you're not scared of failure uh, that comes from being prepared. And so the Ray Lewis example, I know that I've spent hours upon hours in the gym in the off season, hardening my body so that if when Ray Lewis comes and hits me, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to be okay. Right. I've also spent hours and hours in film study, knowing that when I'm, you know, ready to attack Ray Lewis on a specific play that I'm going to get help from my guard or my tackle whose job it is to block him. So it's, it's this preparedness that allows you to trust in real time. And if you don't have doubts, like if you go into a game with doubts, like, man, am I ready for this? Oh, man, Ray hits me. Is this going to hurt? Like, if you go in like that, y- you can't be successful. But if you go in saying, yeah, Ray's going to hit me, but I'm, my body's prepared for it. Or we have this play called and, and Ray's going to attack it. But yeah, I know my guy has my back. Right. If, if you have this, this preparedness that, uh, that breeds confidence, you can just go play and trust yourself. And trust those around you. And, and that's how you find success. So it sounds to me like what you're describing is earned confidence because it's not the kind of like self-esteem of elementary school where just feel good about yourself. It's That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is earned confidence. It's not, you don't just find it. It doesn't just materialize out of thin air because you happen to be, you know, the biggest or the strongest or the smartest or whatever it may be. You, you have to earn it. Um, and then you also have to earn the trust of those around you. And, and are, are, are there players who who would face a, a Ray Lewis or a Michael Jordan and and just say, I'm going to get hurt, I'm going to lose, I'm going to get beat, and then that to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that didn't have to be? Yeah, I think so. I think it, that, look, we, we talk about this all the time. You know, the Patriots who had, have a, who've had a dynasty over the last 20 years, oftentimes they've beaten the opponent before they take the field. And it's, and it's really hard to beat a team that you honestly believe you can't beat. Now, the only way to, to overcome that is to prepare and to, and to have a great plan and to know that our plan might not work, but we have a great plan and we're going we're gonna to execute it. That's helpful. Just knowing you have a great plan. Even Absolutely. Interesting. It, 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 it washes away some of that doubt that, that, that you were just alluding to. Is that why coaches are so important? It's, it's exactly why coaches are so important. Because if you don't have someone whose voice is, is, is trusted and clear and unambiguous, and authentic, that doubt will creep in. And so you need someone to tell you constantly, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how we're going to do this. And more importantly, empower you, right? Coaching is often, you know, go do X, Y, and Z, but it's also, you know, helping someone come to X, Y, and Z by themselves. You know what I mean? So that when they're on the field, they don't have to rely, but they've been, they've been coached so well that they can figure it out on their own. Right. Very interesting. Well, Tiki, thank you as ever for such an interesting conversation on on so many different levels and so many different topics, and for uh, for your your great friendship and for um, our shared love of of the Bible and the Torah and all it can teach us uh, for our benefit. 
Absolutely, Mark. This was such a pleasure. And I, I cannot wait till we can get together in real time again and go through Passover again. I really missed it this year. I know. Yeah, we, we missed it so much, too. God willing, uh, in April next year, you and your family will, will, will be over and we'll be able to celebrate Passover uh, like it's meant to be celebrated. Most certainly. Blessings and love to your family, Mark. 